Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean, the weekend edition. First with yesterday's news, I am Glenn ZFB. We're looking back at Sunday and Saturday because that's how you make a weekend out of Saturdays and Sundays, and sometimes Fridays and Mondays, depending on what sort of weekend it is. Uh, so first up, uh, the Chiefs uh, beat the Crusaders, so that's all going according to plan. Uh, Paul Cole is doing very well at the old squash, so his plan's going well too. Uh, Eugenie Sage has got a plan for recycling because apparently we're not doing a very good job. And uh, Phil Kogan uh, has a, uh, a, set, a a new show about being tough as nails. Uh, but before any of that, um, now the, the cost of living situation. Why, why is the uh, Prime Minister so coy about admitting the fact that there is a cost of living crisis? What, what's the problem there? They rarely concede anything is worse off on their watch. They never frankly admit they might have got something wrong. And people see through it. They're tired of it. It's dishonest. It comes across as smug. And for something like inflation, something that all of us experience, it makes you look out of touch. You know, there is a lot to be said in life for just a little bit of humility. And I reckon that poll underscored one thing. It underscored one thing more than anything else, and that's this. The government can no longer lean on its COVID-19 response for voter support. In all likelihood, the next election won't be fought over the pandemic. It won't be fought over COVID. It'll be fought over the economy. It'll be a classic back pocket debate. ANZ reckons house prices could fall 10% this year. The OCR could rise 100 basis points in the next two months. Russia isn't leaving Ukraine. Inflation won't be tamed overnight. New Zealanders could be in for a tough period. Least of whom, Jacinda Ardern. But, I mean, you know, here's a news flash, a hot take. Everybody's in for a tough period, right? Um, I mean, I was just told yesterday that I'm not allowed to buy packets of grated cheese anymore. I mean, it's come to that. We, uh, we, we've got to buy just normal blocks of cheese and, and grate them. Oh, I never thought I'd love to see the day. Um, uh, now, uh, but I, what I was confident about was, of course, the Chiefs beating the Crusaders. It was always going to happen. How satisfying to fly from Christchurch to Hamilton today, knowing that for the first time in six years, you've actually had a win down there. Yeah, yeah, look. Oh, the sun seems just a little bit brighter today, didn't it? So, um, nah, really proud of the boys. You know, tough, tough game. Crusaders always, you know, tough to crack down there, and um, but managed to get the job done. So happy. Oh, I bet you are. The bench erupted. The coaching box, with uh, the exception of you, actually, uh, uh, went <laughs> went mad. Uh, how big a win is this for the Chiefs? Uh, look, it's still early in the competition, but just nice to get the monkey off the back. Um, as I said, Crusaders are a bloody, bloody tough team. I thought you know, for long periods we were hammering away at their line. They, they showed what a quality team they are through their um, deep, defensive resilience. Um, yet yeah, it's just bloody hard, and um, you know to come away with a win is, is good for our own confidence. It was great to, to do it with you know, a number of our more senior guys out um, and, and young guys stepping up and taking their opportunity. So I'm, I'm sure we'll get. Plenty of growth out of the out of the experience. At twenty-one ten down with five minutes to go, had you started to think, "Hey, this isn't going to be the night." No, not really. You know, like we just we created plenty of opportunity in that second half. We, played, you know, we dominated territory and position, and 
just kind of felt like, you know, just when we were ready to break them, we'd turn the ball over or they'd, they'd steal a ball and we'd lose an opportunity and they seem to be stacking up. Yeah, it's probably my favourite way to beat the Crusaders is to uh, lull them into thinking that they're going to win and then right at the end beat them and break their hearts completely. Um, yeah, love it. Good times. Probably just end the podcast there. Oh, you want to? Okay, we'll just do a bit more. Um, Paul Cole doing well in the squash. Good on him. How significant is it to you that you're now Paul Cole, world number one? Yeah, I don't get tired of hearing that. If I'm being honest with you, mate, it's um, <laughs> it's just a pretty special feeling, and uh, it's been an amazing you know week since uh since I got or since I made world number one. So. Um, yeah, I'm loving life, man. It's you know, it's the sort of thing that even when you're 85 years old and your knees have given out, and maybe you're not hitting squash balls with quite the vigor and venom that you do these days, you will still be Paul Cole, former world number one. Yeah, yeah, they can. Uh, I like when they introduce me on court as world number one, and now they can always go world number one or former world number one. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, 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 like uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's for sure. Does it add pressure? Does it being the the top dog, being the guy at the top of the pyramid? Does that mean that? I mean, I, I you know most of the most of the players on the tour know who you are now, but does that kind of increase the size of the target on your back? Hundred percent, man. Um, it's something you know that's it's always in the back of your mind. But to be honest, I'm just trying. I'm trying not to think about that too much. I'm just trying to enjoy being world number one for for now, you know, and uh, you never know how long it's going to last. So I'm I'm just trying to treat it that way, man. Like, of course, there's a a massive target on the back and, you know, the pressure changes. Yes, I know exactly how he feels. Not that I've ever been world number one at anything, but the radio show I work on um, at the moment has about 34% of Aucklanders listening to it. And which is great until the next radio survey when that probably won't be the case. So, you know what I mean? Um, good one. Yeah, enjoy it while it lasts, for sure. For sure, for sure, for sure. Hey, uh, apparently we're getting the recycling wrong, and so Eugenie Sage wants to uh, fix all that. So what's so bad about our current recycling systems? Well, we lag well behind the rest of the world, and we have far too much going to landfill. And New Zealanders want to do the right thing, but we haven't made it easy. So these proposals are about making it easier to recycle and reducing waste to landfill. Um, Having a container return scheme, which I can remember from the uh, 70s and 80s, where you pay a bit more for your drink when you drink buy a drink, and then you get your deposit back uh, when you return it. So that's great in reducing plastic pollution in the oceans uh, because about a quarter of our litter is drink containers at the moment. And so this is us catching up with the rest of the world. And government's also proposing to standardise recycling systems. So they will collect uh, the same materials, glass, paper, cardboard, uh, three sorts of plastics, ones, twos and fives, Uh, and liquid paperboard containers and metal, uh, aluminium and tin cans. And that means that um, recycling operators know what uh, they can get markets for and it just makes it easier for Kiwis to recycle. And the third thing is requiring businesses to separate out their food waste from other waste because a quarter of the food waste that goes to landfills from businesses 
and requiring councils to provide in urban areas a collection service for food scraps. Don't we just need more waste disposal machines in work kitchens? Wouldn't that take care of a lot of the food wastage? Also, can we get the people who um, work in the studio when I'm not in the studio to stop putting their food waste in the wire waste paper bin behind me? That's really disgusting. And sometimes they even put tea bags in there. Like it's a wire wove bin. It's not waterproof or anything. And it's just gross. Stop doing that. This is a message specifically to them. Um, I'm a bit confused about the, you know, one, they, they talk about waste going into landfill, the recycling going into landfill, and then they also talk about it going in the ocean. Are we putting it in the land or the ocean? I don't. Anyway, they just need to make it less confusing. I think, to me, personally, I think robots are the answer. Are we put everything in one bin, and then robots, super fast robots, sort it all out for you? I don't. I, it may not sound like the most practical plan, but imagine watching the super fast robots sort through your rubbish. Um, let's finish up with Phil Kogan. He's tough as nails. Oh no, sorry, he's got a program called where he was tough as nails. His program's about. Let's figure out if he knows what's happening. Tell me how your family has inspired this new show, Tough as Nails. Well, um, you know, my grandparents' generation. Uh, came through the depression. Um, my grandfather was the ducks of his middle school and got an opportunity to go get a scholarship to go to high school when he was 13, but um, through family circumstances was encouraged to take a job. I don't really know what happened, but he basically started working at 13. My grandmother was top of her class and because she was from a very big family over on the West Coast, um, she was encouraged to look after her brothers and sisters and also, it wasn't sort of customary that a woman in those days was encouraged to go on to, to university and get a get a degree. So working class family, and that's the same on my mother's side of the family. And, you know, looking back into the some of the first New Zealanders uh, or first Europeans to arrive in New Zealand were some of my ancestors and all working class. So and I'm very proud of my working class family and my my parents were sort of the first of the of their generation uh to to um to get a chance to for a tertiary education and so it just always has irked me that my grandmother and grandfather two very bright people very well read very bright were uh that some people would make derogatory comments about working class people farmers and and people who work with their hands and make sure that we can flush toilets and turn lights on and 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 basically keep the the country functioning and um it just always irked me i was just like how how dare you judge somebody just because they haven't been to university about their intelligence and their contribution to the world that's just so unfair couldn't agree more um i've never been to university i mean i've walked through a couple but i've never actually attended any are they classes? Lectures. What do you call them? Anyway, that shows how, how little university I've attended. And look what I've brought to the world. All these podcasts. I mean, this is episode 2,621 of this particular podcast. That's a lot of podcasts. Where would the world be without them, right? Uh, see you back here for 2,672 tomorrow. No, 22. Oh, got that wrong. Um, 
but quality content, you'd have to agree.